0: Welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to six soothing steps for treating generalised anxiety disorder, how to treat free-floating anxiety with no clear single cause. So thanks to evolutionary psychology, we know these days that anxiety is a survival mechanism that we've inherited from our ancestors. And of course, in prehistoric times, humans had a good reason to feel anxious sometimes. They were faced daily with physical threats. The modern world isn't quite as dangerous, mostly, yet in many ways we do live in anxious times. So it's not so much physical threats that face us, but potential threats presented in news and other media. How the modern world turned a survival response into a psychiatric disorder. So once upon a time, anxiety was critical for keeping us alive, but in today's less immediately life-threatening world, it piggybacks on the kind of chronic low-level threats that leave many in a state of constant anxiety. Right or wrong, the psychological industry has packaged this up under the term generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD, People with GAD feel continually tense and anxious over things that wouldn't normally bother a person to that extent. So see reference one at the bottom of this video. Feeling like this day after day can quickly suck the sense of meaning from life. Every day feels like a struggle to survive, and life becomes an exercise in endurance rather than enjoyment. Take Kay, for example, and you can see my session with Kay by signing up to Uncommon Practitioners TV, if you're not already a member. And she said, um, you know, my brain is constantly on high alert, but knowing it doesn't help. When Kay came to see me, she was suffering from general anxiety and it was making her life so much harder than it needed to be. And she told me that even coming to see me that day had caused her a great deal of stress and anxiety. But here's the thing. Cognitively, Kay knew there was little to worry about, yet knowing that didn't help. So her cognitions were working absolutely fine, but it was the feeling that was uh, really upsetting her. She didn't have low self-esteem or feel she was a bad person. Kay understood her fears and worries and understood that they weren't rational, But understanding that hadn't been any use in overcoming the GAD that had been blighting her life. As a therapist, treating generalized anxiety disorder can feel daunting because it can seem so all-encompassing. After all, when a client has a simple phobia or a post-traumatic stress disorder, both of which can precipitate GAD, it's clear what needs to be done. But in Kay's case, there was no one event, no major trauma or set of traumas or life-squeezing phobia, just a horrible, never-ending sense of background dread and worry. So let me share with you some simple steps that I find useful when helping people with generalised anxiety disorder. So Step one, find the pattern. It's easy to assume there isn't a pattern to a client's GAD. After all, uh, they do call it generalised anxiety disorder, But trust me, there is a pattern and you can find it. So as I worked with Kay, we discovered that anxiety over her job was leaking out into many other areas of her life. With time, it became clear that she would feel especially anxious when she had to be responsible for planning an event such as a uh, family holiday or vacation. So if you ask me, the term generalized anxiety disorder is actually too general. There's always specific patterns within it, but perhaps there is something even more fundamental we can do to understand a client's GAD. Step two, find the missing needs. While I don't doubt that some people naturally experience fear more readily than others, I think it's important not to pass off a client's uh, GAD as some sort of genetically predetermined disease. Instead, I think we should interpret GAD As a signal that one or more or perhaps even many of the client's primal emotional needs remain unmet or that some past emotional conditioning is still active within them. It might even be a combination of both. And of course, having GAD can in turn prevent the completion of needs, just as being weakened by the desperate need to eat can prevent us from searching for food. So just to recap, our primal emotional needs consist of, firstly, the need to give and receive attention with other human beings, or even pets and animals. The need to heed the mind-body connection. Some psychotropic medications may block this need if they have damaging side effects. The need for purpose, goals, and meaning. Okay, Without the need for meaning, life can seem empty. The need to be part of a community and make a contribution. The need for challenge and creativity, to be stretched rather than stressed. The need for intimacy. The need for a sense of control and autonomy. And the need for status, to feel that we're recognized and valued for who we are and what we do. The need to feel safe and secure, which is, of course, missing uh, when generalized anxiety disorder is present. So missing needs create a signal in the form of a symptom. For example, missing the need for physical hydration creates the symptom of thirst. So once a client starts to get what they need from life, often the signaling symptom will disappear. So it's important to find out which needs may be missing and also how the symptom of GAD may be further interfering with the completion of those needs. But we also need to look at how and why GAD may have developed in the first place, not just to provide our clients with insight, but to actually help decondition any harmful learnings from the past. So step three, find the origins of the emotional conditioning. So Kay told me all about her mother who died when Kay was in her late teens. And she told me how her Mum, despite always having Kay's best interests at heart, was very rigid in her outlook and chock full of shoulds and musts and my way is the only way kind of an attitude. And I asked Kay to tell me about some specific instances that she could remember. And Kay told me about a time her mother had made her apologize to a neighbor when Kay was very, very young over having simply taken a flower from the neighbor's garden and a big deal had been made out of this. And what struck me was not the fact that Kay's mother made her do this, but the way she made her do it. Kay's mother had been cold and austere and made uh, Kay feel as if she'd let herself down as a human being. Such was the level of disapproval over this flower-taking, rather than just being a young, innocent girl delighting in nature. So to quote one of the subtitles from the video of the session, the trouble with too many rules as a child is that that it can then be hard to live in a more ambiguous reality. Okay, Much of adult life doesn't have rules, or at least not so sharply defined. Therefore, Kay makes her own rules and then worries that details are left unaccounted for when planning or having things to do, even social events. Kay also told me how her mother had always insisted things should be just right. She'd always insisted uh, Marks and Spencer's, the shopping retailers, should have changing rooms. Okay, and I played with this phraseology during trance work with Kay, using the uh, double entendre to suggest that indeed there should be room to change. And the change I was referring to, of course, was change within K. but we could use or utilize what she talked about, sort of perhaps metaphorically. So we can begin to help undo the effects of past emotional conditioning, which may be in part uh, fueling gad in our clients. And sometimes this alone is enough to help someone overcome generalised anxiety. But it's also important to discover what does work in the client's life, for therein lies the key to a whole host of possible solutions. So step four, find the exception times to the gad. Okay, Sometimes by asking a client when the anxiety is worse, we can not only find strategies for them to deal with these times, but also in a roundabout way uncover resourceful exception times, times in which anxiety is minimal or even non existent. So if I tell uh, you my anxiety is terrible on Mondays, then for sure you can ask me what's so bad about Mondays, but also ask me well what's better about Tuesdays in comparison to Mondays? For Kay, the one time she felt she could relax was at the end of a yoga class, uh during yoga nidra. When they lie, when you lie down and and you sort of relax after the lesson. So of course I use this by evoking it hypnotically when helping to relax Kay deeply later in the session. You know, why reinvent the wheel? But more generally I discovered that Kay had felt more free and relaxed, more alive and happy when she went away to university as a young adult and was away from her mother's influence for the very first time in her life. And by finding when the problem doesn't happen or didn't happen, or even whole periods of life in which it was much better, we're discovering that somewhere deep down the client already knows how not to have the difficulty. And we are then in a position to identify which needs were being met then that perhaps aren't being met so much now. But we also need to work on worries directly. So step five, find ways to minimize worry one commonly reported symptom of generalized anxiety disorder is worry about stuff that shouldn't really be worrying at all. So this happens because you have a strong feeling of anxiety. Your mind will seek ways to try to justify that emotion, to to give that emotion a body, so to speak. The body responds to imagined stresses almost exactly the same way as it does to real stressors, but it needs some kind of subject for that stress. It's as if your mind has to make a container for the feelings, something tangible to worry about. Okay, so we'll find things to worry about to fit the prevailing feeling. So what all this means is that free-floating stress can lead our brain into imagining stuff to feel stressed about. And those imaginings, you know, did I switch off the gas cooker, can in turn make us more stressed. There are three steps to treating worry. So firstly, discover what actually does worry the client course. You know, what are the biggest concerns? Two, help the client begin to detach from the worry by actually practicing relaxing whilst thinking the worrying thought or imagining the worrying scenario. This is an unusual but highly effective therapeutic approach. And in this way, we deal with the feeling of the worry so that the thought can more easily change or drop away. And three, examine thinking styles that may be making your client prone to worry and encourage awareness of these cognitive biases so your client can uh, more easily inhabit their observing self in future. They can see themselves from the outside. And the last step is crucial and, in a sense, needs to flavor all the other steps too. So step six, relax your client deeply. It never ceases to amaze me when anxiety clients such as K come to me and tell me they've had previous therapy but were never encouraged to experience deep relaxation as part of that therapy. That's like going to a watering hole in a desert and not being offered a cup of cool water or not being given the means to find your own in future. So we can show our clients they can relax deeply within the session and use those moments to communicate with their unconscious mind. We can also teach our clients to self-hypnotize in order to relax deeply outside of their therapy time with us and this helps them bring down their general stress levels so it becomes harder to uh, become stressed in future the antidote to anxiety is not insight or analysis or trying to forcibly think differently in the hope of feeling differently the antidote when we get down to it is relaxation if you know hypnosis or mindfulness techniques use them to give your client what they need directly so i hope you found that useful I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge and if you'd like to uh, subscribe to my email newsletter you can find it over at unc.com slash blog.